everyone and welcome to another episode of the Modern Employer podcast. Another one quickly slipping it in there just before Christmas uh, so that you have something to listen to on your Christmas holidays, I guess. This episode is going to be another fabulous episode with another fabulous guest. We know we know this guest for so long, but it's the first time he's coming over to our podcast. I'm so excited. Um, as always, here with you is Olya and Karthikan. Hi everyone! Uh, and our special guest is uh, Will from my tutor. Hi Will! Hi, a special guest. That sounds, that sounds great. I've been called special before. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. And um, Will, you, you have a lot of wisdom to share with us today. Um, so the value of this episode for everyone, um, it's for companies that are scaling or are about to scale in the new remote slash hybrid world. Uh, will will introduce us to his journey at my tutor and how they've managed to build their talent acquisition, uh, how they've managed to design their organizational structure um, and, and strive to create that high performing culture. So that's kind of the overall what we want to get out of this episode. We want to listen to how Will uh, done it at my tutor and, and what his journey has been like. Um, Karthika, please jump in, walk us through what we're going to do today. I'm so excited. This is a good, good episode um, because it's some of my favorite things Will is talking about. Um, and scaling a business is very, very important. So our key topics or the topics that we're going to delve into a little bit deeper is designing a well-functioning internal recruitment team. And we know how important that really is um, when scaling a business, um, how to fight silos and layers um, as you scale. And, and the third one is challenges of building structures. So we're talking about career pathways, decision-making, and um, what I love is making mistakes um, as well. So intro, Will, um, if you could let us know maybe a little bit about my tutor and its journey before we delve into to the first topic a little bit, that would be really useful. Yeah, sure. So my tutor is an online tutoring marketplace. Uh, it's been around for about six and a bit years. And it's quite unique in the way it's structured because it's a marketplace. We've got lots of different customer bases. So we've got our supply side, so our tutors, who are all the high achieving undergrads. And then we've got a B2B side of the business. So we work directly with schools and the government on larger contracts and then a B2C side of the business. So a more traditional marketplace, consumers kind of purchasing tuition for themselves. And although we've been around for sort of six, you know, six plus years, um, well, there's been almost like two sides to the journey. Um, and there was pre-pandemic um, where it was a relatively steady growth path. We, you know, from when I joined, we went from about seven or eight people to about 40, 45 uh, employees. And that was over about four years. So relatively steady pace. And then um, after the pandemic, uh, because there was a lot of, you know, more interest in education and supporting pupils with COVID catch up. Um, we then scaled to about 250 in about 14, 16 months. So very, very different sides. Um, big uh, big like growth. Just, yeah, yeah, big growth in a short period of time. Having gone through relatively steady growth before that over a much longer period of time. 
yeah how 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 did that feel for you personally growing growing that um it was definitely different um you know if we think about um how we were scaling before relatively steady pace um all the hiring was handled uh, by hiring managers the senior leadership team you know the ceo and founders were very heavily involved in the majority of hires up to that point um and then suddenly we kind of flipped had to go through hyperspeed um put processes in place you know there's a we always talk about building the car as it's moving. So we're trying to improve processes as we're actually doing the thing. We're building out whole functions, you know, heads of department, middle managers, and uh, uh, sort of entry-level teammates into brand new functions, all in one one foul swoop. So um, it was definitely uh, challenging, uh, definitely exciting, and uh, we definitely learned a lot along the way. Amazing. Well, and obviously with that growth. The first topic we have is designing a well-functioning internal recruitment unit because that's in my eyes probably a really important part of the journey um tell us more like tell us how you you built that how what did you look look out for yeah so again it's quite an interesting position because we didn't have a people team going into this growth um, at that point, I was head of operations, so a very small part of my role was kind of focusing on people. It was mainly, I don't know, remembering people's birthdays and sending out contracts. Um, so it wasn't um, there wasn't much sort of uh, process behind it. So suddenly we're challenged with, you know, hiring at a super fast pace, and we haven't got any internal experience on on what that needs to look like. So we initially turned to. Um, like an embedded talent solution. So people we've worked with were Talentful and Canda, but there are loads of um, really good uh, services out there you could could use. Um, they're the two that we've had good success with. Um, and the way they work is they'll, it's almost like you're, you'll get like a trained up sort of talent partner sitting within your business. Um, and they've got their own tooling behind them. They've got their own experience. They probably work with other similar sort of stage uh, startups going through growth like this. So, and, and because they're embedded, they actually, you know, start to learn about the culture a little bit as well. Like when they're selling, they're selling, you know, your company, it's my tutor they're selling. Um, so initially we worked with, uh, with those, those sorts of companies, um, which really helped us get from about 50 to 150 um, quite quickly. So that was, that was sort of the first route we went down. This is so interesting because I've I've heard um you know I've heard about these solutions out there and a few of them have reached out to me in the past, um and it's always been I've always been quite worried that you know how is it that you can entrust the recruitment process and the culture elements right how can they bring the right people on board for you especially in such big volumes um so how was that experience for my tutor do, do you feel like uh th this um embedded talent solution was able to uh help you bring more people that kind of nurtured your culture further or did you notice any shift in your culture with these extra hundred people or so joining yeah, so for, for us, it worked. Um, it is very reliant on who you get into the business. Um, so who's that talent partner that you get? 
um, and again, who the company worked with. So I've mentioned Talentful and Canva, for example. Talentful, much bigger company. They work with very, very large contracts and very different scales of company. Um, so they brought a lot of sort of professionalism, which was very good for us in the, uh, particularly we were just starting out trying to build a function. They knew all about reporting, had like lots of tooling behind them. Um, more recently, I've been working with Canda, smaller company, but they're very, very much aligned to our values. They only work with sort of B Corps or mission led companies. So when you are getting, um, you know, their talent partner, they're pairing with you, they, they're selling that mission like it's their own. They absolutely live and die by it um, as well. So I think, yeah, it's really important that you, you kind of trust the person that, that's coming in and you get a chance to meet them. And then I guess as a business, you need to learn fast around, you know, what does reporting need to look like? How are you tracking the, the quality of the candidate looking in? Uh, they're bringing in whether it's you know passing probation you know staying not leaving within a year etc but for us um given how fast we're moving it was it was successful um but we we definitely decided at some point you know it is expensive um you know you're paying a reasonable amount each month for for what could be essentially someone's salary um and a bit of tooling cost so we did at one point so as about about 150 we decided that we wanted to switch things up and start to build an in-house function. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thinking about that, so obviously there are companies out there who, um, including sort of Vita Mojo, who I work for, um, we're in that stage of we have an external talent partner um, who, who works with our culture, who knows everything. But where was that switch to kind of go, okay, we need to now bring this in-house. What were the key benefits? Because obviously places like Canda or Disciple or, or Talentful, all of these talent partners kind of work with your culture, kind of get you great talent. They have um, the resourcing capabilities, et cetera. So they can work quite quickly. Um, what was that switch um, to go in-house? Was it sort of making sure that you had employer branding, et cetera, and it was easier to manage? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think one, at the time I was reporting to the CFO, so uh, money was definitely uh, something that was on the cards. Um, so, you know, if you're paying, you know, 10 to 12,000 pounds a month, if you turn that into someone's salary, you could potentially get, you know, two, two really good talent partners instead of one. Um, obviously other things come with working with a company like Talentful and Canada, but you know, in a crude way, you know, you can get, you can get more for less if you do it right. Um, I think the other piece you mentioned, employer brand, that was definitely something that, that we were lacking in and, and probably still are a little bit. It's taking a little bit of time to catch up, you know, for a company of our size, we probably aren't doing quite enough. Um, and again, that's because we were kind of hiring, we've sort of uh, had these companies sort of focusing on, on bringing people in the door, but they weren't looking at the whole picture. So you know, they've obviously got um, KPIs to bring people in, um, but they aren't as focused on things like employer brand. You know, we did push them to do some interview training across the business, but again, it's not a core part of their focus. Um, and other, other pieces as well, like both companies have brought um, an eye on diversity inclusion, which is, which is great. And I, I, I'd hope um, that most companies that, that come in do have a focus on that too. But again, they still have sort of, KPIs around um, bringing people in the door, but where you've got that in-house, you've got all that control yourself. So you can really align it to kind of what you want to achieve as a business. 
This is this is really interesting, and I find it that especially maybe when you have those limited funds, you might want to look at, you know, what you can achieve from this from this um, you know embedded talent function in the short term. But I guess the lesson here is just that if you don't have an unlimited funds, then you're not going to have the same people for the long term. So the long term picture still has to be kept separate and, and taken care of uh, in the meantime, mm -hmm. or, or, or it is it is a lot of catching up, as you're saying, if, if it's left untouched, as you scale, especially so, you know, I love this subject and I could talk about it for a whole more episode. Um, but to kind of to to finalize from you, what were your kind of key learnings of uh, of doing it this way um, before we move on and talk about other brilliant things you brought us today? So um, I guess that the, the links I'll highlight the most, which is where I learned the most, was the transition from a company like Canda and Talentful over to an in-house function um, and I think don't underestimate uh, how much companies like that are doing in the background so things like they're reporting they're pulling together the additional hidden costs so they've got they've got their networks they're leaning on their, their LinkedIn license fees so just sort of saying well we had a talent partner placed with the uh, embedded talent function and we're hiring a talent partner that's going to be the same thing it's really not um, so don't underestimate the work, any additional hidden costs as well in there, like LinkedIn licenses. Um, try and have a good amount of handover. Again, you might be limited by costs, but we had two weeks when we had the first transition between Talentful into our first talent partner hire, and it just wasn't enough. There was so much information to learn um, in a business where things were still quite scrappy because, you know, we had been growing so fast. We still had lots of inefficient processes. It just wasn't enough. So if you can get yourself, you know, potentially a month or even six weeks, that'll, that'll set you up for success. Um, and uh, the last piece is, again, if you have a people person, you know, not, not necessarily a traditional talent person um, running that function, um, just make sure you're speaking to your network. Um, the person you bring into the business is of a senior enough level. So, you know, I was head of people and, you know, I'm in brackets and talent. Uh, but with no talent experience and the first how we brought in was probably a little bit too junior for the task at hand and that's probably our naivety um, so we then had to hire more senior to kind of bolster that team so make sure where you are building that function you bring in someone who can deliver yes but can also have a view on some of the longer term pieces the budgeting the reporting some of the the KPIs over the year so that's those are the things I sort of learned yes this is so true and I can imagine how long it would take also somebody new to come in, appreciate everything that's been done, learn your ways of working, learn your culture um, and be able to continue executing without losing that momentum while also thinking ahead and it might be... Um, it, you know, there might be a need for quite a senior hire who, who is capable of, uh, of doing that hands-on role, which is not very common. So I can imagine it was quite difficult to, to recruit that person for you. Um, well, another thing that we wanted to talk about today was um, about fighting those silos and layers as you scale. So you are forming these new functions, but how are you making sure that 
you retain communication, for example, or you retain information in general um, as, as you expand the number of people in the business. So, yeah, I mean, I mentioned up top as well that, you know, we had situations where we're literally building out whole functions from scratch, you know, head to toe. Um, so it's hard to not imagine how a silo wouldn't be formed and, and how there wouldn't be teething problems um, in spaces like this. Um, but some of the, so kind of going back a little bit, actually, my tutor, before we scaled and as we've continued to scale, what we have found easier for breaking down silos is the social side, maybe the more cultural side of things. We have quite a one team culture on that sense. So lots of cross team social budgets. Um, we have company-wide committees that focus on things like diversity, inclusion, socials, well-being. Um, we have regular newsletters and we have our all hands with like Q&A. So the more sort of social side, like FICA, things like that, it has worked quite well together. We've also done quite a good job with focusing on managers as well. So we've always had manager groups. So the directors, the heads of, the managers, the team leads, they all meet kind of a, a regular cadence. They have social budgets of their own. We ask them to kind of share challenges and learn from each other um, because we have a big belief in those relationships being built uh, are so important to people performing well. You know, if we look at some of our early founding team, which uh, technically I'm in that group, um, there's five or you know, about five people who have made it to heads of department or director. Um, and those relationships they've had have, have allowed them to work so effectively across the business, make decisions well, you know, pull people in where they're needed. So we've always put a, a big emphasis on the managers to be an effective group. So that worked quite well. Um, but what we saw work less well is that when you're scaling like really, really fast um, and you know processes aren't perfect, workloads are probably too high because you know it's the first time you're doing the forecasting. If you had one person doing a job like 12 months ago and suddenly it's done by 20 because it's scaled so much, you know, you lose efficiencies. You can't expect the same from everyone. So you're not quite, you haven't quite figured out exactly like, so you've got a team that's new, potentially overworked, um, unsure about where they, where the, they can sort of push back and not push back because they're so new. Um, Cause we had quite a junior team as well. You can kind of end up with a bit of a siege mentality. Um, and it's not like purposely done, but you kind of close rank a little bit. You look for support within your own group and potentially, particularly if you're in a high stress situation, you can kind of look elsewhere for the potential where the problems are. And it's, you know, it's not us, we're working as hard as this. How can anyone be as working as hard as we are? Um, so that's something that we became aware of and, and the way you kind of pick up on this is by, you know, EMPS surveys, which I'm sure most people do, you know, regular cadence understand it by a team breakdown and see where you might find problems which is which is something that we we did sort of come across in the first kind of six to 12 months of this, this fast scaling amazing and tools wise what what did you do for emps i guess so uh, originally we were just using google forms um uh, just like the surveys to go out as we scaled and um, we we moved over to lattice um the main reason we switched to lattice is because we were coming up to the performance management section of the year and we just thought the idea of people making copies of about four different google docs sharing them out with 150 people was just going to be absolute chaos so we thought what's a better way to do it so use lattice yeah and it came with sort of survey tooling as well so that's what we've been using um and sending out surveys at different types times of the year to understand kind of how people are 
feeling and, and doing and, and how they feel about their, their managers and the teams they're in and the, the teams they're working with. Amazing. Um, I quick question from me, but obviously we're, you know, we're discussing a shared knowledge communication between managers being super important and um, understanding each other's challenges, etc. Um, do they, I mean, this is an honest question, do they share challenges about their people? And do they have those conversations? Or is it more about challenges of their, their the business side? So more of the product itself? This is when the managers meet. Yeah, when the managers yeah. meet. Yeah, actually, so it is, it's designed more around sort of um, support with people. Um, and, you know, depending the, the severity of what that is, it might be anonymous. Um, you know, it's not always appropriate to, to, to tell everyone everything, but, you know, you can speak maybe with out, an out of context solution um, and people can kind of help and, and give support. Um, because a lot of the time, you know, the people are going through the same challenges. Often in managers groups, you've got people just starting out the managing career, some that are a little further on, maybe pushing for the next level. So they can kind of give, um, give support there. I think this was, again, the reason we had this and, and we, we still have it to a degree, it was because we didn't have like a, a massive people function. So we didn't have people partners that could sit down and talk with all the managers about their problems and, and work through them together. So we use each other as sort of cross-functional support um, to help kind of unblock some of those problems. And yeah, mainly focused around people issues or process issues kind of within the people space, really. Um, because more of the kind of functional product stuff might come in sort of smaller team units. You know, for example, the B2B leaders might meet regularly and talk about specific work problems, but then managers across the business would meet at a different cadence and they'd be talking about some of the other problems of facing headcount planning or, you know, being, uh, um, over, you know, overworked in the team or well-being issues, stuff like that, how they could support what other teams are doing um, that they could maybe do themselves. And as you've scaled, have you seen maybe some of that, um, some of the meetings being and cadences being larger and larger that maybe people aren't getting getting the say and there are more managers. So, you know, hearing voices can be much harder, I guess, in that type of situation. Um, are they smaller groups? Yeah, definitely. So we, we've, we've had to kind of make the group slightly more smaller. So we have now like the b2c and b2b managers in one half and then the internal ops and product engineering managers because again it's sort of the problems they're facing might be more similar you know in the more customer facing roles they have sort of maybe larger teams potentially more junior whereas in the other kind of you know data finance product engineering there's kind of smaller management overhead more specialist uh, individuals you know um especially skill sets sorry that, that they'll be working with so the challenges are maybe more comparable um, but even, even that, you know, the, the, the cadence has had to drop a little bit, um, what they're covering in the sessions. I'm not sure they're getting quite as much value as they used to, because now we've got more processes in place. We've got an LMS system where they can, um, you know, learn about some of the challenges and what to do. They've got a people partner they meet with regularly. So actually the, the value isn't there as much. And we've, that's something as you scale, thinking about what groups are going to be valuable and they probably will get a little bit smaller and a little bit more localized, um, which isn't great for silos, I must say. But also, you do need to think about what's going to be effective in delivering delivering in your role. 
not predictable, but I think it's just because I, I, I'm thinking about these things a lot, like relationship management and, you know, the psychology of, of building a team. I just can't help it. That just, that's just constantly what is in my head. So to me, it's, um, it's so interesting to see how with that larger scaling, uh, people that, you know, are more familiar with each other tend to tend to form these support circles uh, even if they don't know they are doing it <laughs> um, mm. and, and which which lead to silos I actually have I haven't thought about this this way before but it makes complete sense and I'm just so cool so so not great but cool <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah it's interesting to see that happen and you know one thing that it's uh, it's all leading into I guess is is building that structure so you talked about you know the decision making and, and how the meetings happen um so if we were to talk about you know now that you have uh, a, a good people team now that you've scaled so much now that you figured out what works and what doesn't within your layering uh, and and how to avoid silos um what do you do now with that structure? Kind of how do you manage it further? Uh, I guess that is that is the next topic. And uh, please, please tell us. Yeah. So what I'll talk about a little bit at the beginning is kind of how we got to some sort of structure. Because I think that's like a tough journey that, that everyone has to go through at some point. It's very painful. I think actually both of you helped me along that journey. Uh, I had a conversation with both of you. So thank you um but you know we we were at, we had this sort of company 40 so people it had been a relatively slow um slow growth you know people's roles hadn't been changing massively because we were quite flat there wasn't a need to do it people's responsibilities might be getting bigger and changing but there wasn't a huge need for lots of layering maybe lots of pathways which wasn't that necessary so you know nothing really written down no view on like competencies across the business um, coming into this sort of hyper growth. And then as you do grow, you know, you do need to add more structure naturally. I know there are some companies who have managed to navigate incredibly flat structures. Um, maybe they've done a couple more iterations of businesses, but you know, given this was like our first attempt at being a business, we didn't want to go too rogue. Um, so we, we knew we needed to kind of make sure there's a structure in place so people felt supported people could see their opportunities ahead of them, the different ways they could go after those opportunities. Um, so we sort of started to, to work on putting together um, kind of frameworks and, and pathways uh, for the team so they could see kind of where they sit within the business, how that might compare against um, other people in the business and, and what they might have to do to get there and the different ways they could get there. Um, so we worked on putting that together and there's a few a few learnings um we'd like to share on putting that going from sort of nothing to trying to build you know some sort of framework we'd initially marked about six marked about six to eight weeks to get this done um and i just don't underestimate the time the amount of time this sort of project can take i think it ended up taking at least four months it's still an ongoing process you're probably not, you're going to keep iterating particularly if you're growing fast still so just really don't underestimate the amount of time. I think the other learning we had was making making sure that we didn't loop in the senior leaders early enough. So as a people team, 
we sort of thought we're, we're, we're more specialized in this we'll go away we'll speak to people and other businesses see what they're doing we're going to come back and we're going to present this sort of fantastic framework to you and what we hadn't done is really um brought the senior leaders across uh, in uh, you know through the journey and you know we hadn't let them feed in and you know the knowledge they have is so important and then their view of the business and what makes a good uh, you know a great employee should have been fed in more directly so make sure you're looping your senior leaders early depending on the business you might get high level engagement uh, and you might almost be having to manage kind of how much they want to be involved in other businesses they might not even read the sort of the documents you're sending but i think you got to at least try and bring them along that journey with you so they're bought into what what you're doing because in the end we had to sort of unpick a lot of the work we've done as a people team and then redo it with slt so that was the second learning um and then the third one and like the thing i can't speak highly enough of um is like make sure to speak to other companies that have been through the process um every pretty much everyone you know in the startup space has had to go from like scale up you know startup to scale up will have had to do it um there'll be such valuable insights such learnings that they've gone through um they can even share like templates and frameworks um which is just so so valuable but the one caveat being that um every company is very different you can't just sort of drop someone's framework and prop it, prop it into your own. The chances are the culture is very different. You know, what works at one might not actually be well regarded in another. So I think you need to find something that, that, that works for your business. And I think, again, going back to bringing SLT in, there'll be a super uh, a good resource as well to helping you shape what actually does, it does need to look like for your business. Um, so that, I don't think that necessarily answers your question, but I just wanted to sort of talk a little bit about how we got to um, having some sort of framework in the first place and, and some sort of pathway in the first place. I definitely think that what you mentioned, Will, is, um, is still very, very helpful. So thank you so much. I think understanding how difficult it is to, uh, to draw that line in the sand between the work that you have to do as the specialized department versus bringing uh, your SLT on board early and, and navigating that relationship and manage those stakeholders it's a it's a challenge in its own no matter kind of what big project you are you are bringing on board from your team so still thank you so much for mentioning that well i wanted to ask one one question um to you about bringing on slt because we know how important that is to have senior leaders behind you and um you know managing that however um knowing where to start with bringing them on board is quite difficult um where where did you start with that and you know you said loop and senior leaders if you could in hindsight look back how would you do it where would what would you say to them how would you bring them in yeah it's a good question and definitely a difficult one because i think having worked with slt a little bit more in this role and over the past sort of year or so the difficulty you can have with with these teams of you know very senior people who have specific ways of working sometimes they like to be brought along journeys in different ways so um some you know the the, the ceo for example is quite principle-led in his approach so if they understand the principles that you're going to be working from they're agreed as the group they're then quite happy for you to go away and um kind of you know work within those principles and report back on those as you're making progress our cmo for example 
has a fantastic network and she's has so many insights and so many business. So what she loves to see is who have you spoken to? What are other people doing? How does this compare with what I've seen? So it, it's not easy because different people um, like to be brought along the journey in different ways. Um, so I think you kind of need to figure out whenever, whenever your senior leadership team are trying to kind of take on some of these loftier questions, like how are they approaching it? So generally now, the way I've seen our team work is, you know, just have a couple of really key questions and just give the floor to the room, let them talk, um, let them get out what they wanted to get out, um, make notes, go away, then formulate that and then start to add some structure and start to kind of bring them on to your sort of thinking. So yeah, that, that in the end, that's what we ended up doing, just sort of sitting down, open floor discussion um, about how people sort of see progression across the business, how they see layering, what do they need, what's their headcount growth can look like, what makes them nervous. Um, and, and then you can take those and feed that into any work you've done or any work you've taken from you know, other businesses. So that's what worked for us in the end. Whether that's the same for everyone, I think it's just really figuring out how your senior leaders approach problems, really. And, and that's interesting because when you go back and you go, hey, I'm putting a project together that could look like this, then how do you go back into the room and say, I'm kind of solutionizing this problem a little bit? Because I guess with different ways of working, that can come across quite differently. Um, and some people might have a problem with that. They might feel like they needed to be more involved. How, how do you deal with those objections? Yeah, I, um, I, again, a very good question. And I'm, I'm not entirely sure how well I actually did deal with them. But I think where, you know, where you're giving people the floor, an open floor to kind of give their views and you kind of listen, understood, um, and you have kind of considered them in any work that you've gone away and done. Um, and then you're coming back again and saying like, hey, this is the next iteration. Um, but I think it's just, you know, really making it clear that it is an iteration. You know, it's V1, it's V2. Um, it's not a finished project. You can kind of keep changing and working um, and hopefully each time you're kind of taking a few steps forward. Um, but I think, again, just giving them the space to, to review the work, you know, make sure if, it's, if you're going into a senior leadership team meeting, they've had this stuff a week before, maybe surface any comments async ahead of time. And then you can kind of go into that session kind of primed and ready. And you've had a time to think about maybe what their challenges are or what they're looking to get out of the session. And you can kind of curate it a little bit more to make sure you're focusing on the areas they want to focus on. That is amazing reiteration. I, I love that. I love it. Olia, I will give it back to you. Thank you so much. Well, I feel like this was such a helpful episode and I've learned so much just by listening to you and uh, listening to you answer all of our questions. I feel like I would definitely take, you know, some of your advice on board when scaling whatever, whatever company I'm in. And um, it's just, it's just so helpful, you know, to talk to somebody who's done this before, you know, talk to somebody who's 
gone through the entire journey, like your experience is so valuable <laughs> and definitely, definitely will pay you back loads, you know, as you go through your career. The fact that you have been there from beginning until now, the fact that you've seen all these with your own eyes and kind of gone through it with your own nerves. <laughs> You, you have acquired something really, really special here. And I just, I just wanted to give you a big shout out for just for, for being on that journey and, um, and coming out the other end quite successful. So well done to you. Absolutely. You can't see I'm blushing, I'm blushing. Um, <laughs> you can't see it, but and, we'll uh, take that. And I just want to <laughs> echo that well, like honestly, the amount of work I know that goes into scaling a business and the amount of patience and making new mistakes is so important in that journey. Um, and I think you, you've portrayed that very well is that actually you do make mistakes, but what can you learn from them? And that is so insightful and so encouraging and empowering. And I'm sure our listeners will feel empowered by that um, as well. Do you have like a final note a final piece of wisdom well well i think i think actually what you said really encapsulated what i was hoping to get across um that you know mistakes will happen along the way that's okay um you nothing's going to be perfect the first time so you're going to have to keep iterating even if you think you've nailed it the company's going to be probably different in 12 months time if you're are scaling fast so you're going to need to keep iterating and then the last thing I say always is um, for anyone, you use your network, speak to people, listen to things like this, get in fantastic groups um, and just learn as much as you can from people around you who have gone through similar problems because it's the best way uh, to learn. And it's uh, how I managed to learn some of the stuff that I've learned for sure. Absolutely. We're doing incredible things, all of us, but when once we learn from each other because one person's experience might be slightly different i love it um it's it's a great community to have as well um and yeah keep listening to our podcast because that will also help <laughs> yeah uh well thank you so much yeah thank uh, you so much bro. really really appreciate you coming um and we will post more links uh to to will's profile um for all of our listeners to go and check him out um but for now thank you very much and we'll uh we'll chat to you again in the new year now bye bye thank bye. you bye, bye. bye.